Meg Elman of asacredjourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that the Pilgrim Principles online course begins soon. Join us as we explore together what it means to live like a pilgrim in everyday life. We've already got a great group forming, but there's still room for you. Registration closes on September 29th, and the course begins on September 30th. Learn more and register today at asacredjourney.net. Welcome back to Pilgrim Podcast. Today, we are with Pat Lockery, who is a software testing manager at a large multinational coffee company in Seattle, and also a part-time instructor of Christian spirituality, which is an interesting combination I'm sure we can explore. He is a member of the Celtic community of Aidan and Hilda and holds a doctorate of ministry with a dissertation focusing on how monasticism and social media intersect. And he discovered pilgrimage accidentally in Ireland and in Scotland. So we're going to touch on that today as well as what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and even practice a rule of life. I know he teaches the course at um, my graduate school, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, um, where you develop a rule of life. And that's where um, the previous teacher Uh, is the one who I had, and he guided us to write our rule of life, which is where Pilgrim Principles came from. And so it's great to be able to talk with you today, Pat, and um, kind of tap into all of those things, both pilgrimage abroad, how that informs our lives at home, and of course, um, your work with others um, in writing rules of life as well. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Lacey. I'm looking forward to talking to you in in this context. Yeah, oh, definitely. Always many things to to (laughs) talk about and explore. Well, I've shared a bit about who you are. Why don't you Mm. tell us about your own spiritual journey, Um, perhaps how it led you to um, your work with spirituality and, of course, to pilgrimage. Yeah, good. I will. um, It's always hard to tell the story succinctly and briefly, <laughs> but let me see where we might meander to. So I'll let you know um, if it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. I feel the electroshock prod <laughs> here. So um, I grew up uh, in rural Northwest Montana and um, my dad, um, my dad was essentially agnostic and my mom was a Catholic kind of having been raised as a Catholic uh uh, from the cradle. So she was kind of Catholic school girl. And, and my dad was, uh, was a surfer when they first married. And, um, so we, my family went to my, uh, mom and the kids went to Catholic church with mom while dad, you know, stayed home and, and went and played in the woods, um, as his, um, expression of spirituality when he felt that way. So, um, I went to my undergrad in Spokane at a Jesuit university at Gonzaga university, um, which I didn't know much about. I didn't choose it because it was a Catholic school. I just chose it because it was, you know, a couple hours away from home. And, and, um, I liked the computer science program that they had. And so I started studying there and, um, had an inkling of discovering, um, the Jesuit way of being 
not really from my classes, but um, through a couple of priests who were just really interesting dudes. Um, I had one priest who I loved, dear, was a dear friend in those days, who he um, taught jazz um, music, taught jazz theory, and he scored films on the weekends as a Jesuit priest. So he was an interesting character and kind of taught me about embedding spirituality in whatever everyday life looks like. Mm. Um, in those days, I also found uh, the charismatic and evangelical church and kind of went into that um, into that wing of the church uh, after I finished my undergrad. So I was kind of a, you know, Catholic, evangelical, charismatic, whatever. You got that your all bases covered. <laughs> Some of them covered. And um, uh, was in uh, charismatic evangelical churches for a while and been um, working in software and feeling unfulfilled in my software part of my life, um, which stinks because, you know, I'm, I'm, that's a large part of my life. Mm. Um, and along the way, I um, it was desperately just actually I went through a phase of trying to figure out what did I want to be when I grew up. This was in my like mid 30s or something. And, and uh, I knew I didn't want to do that job for the rest of my life, but I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And so and I was exploring a bunch of different things that would both be potentially fulfilling, but also, um, um, you know, make a living. Mm. And um, and at that moment in time, the church that, that I had been attending and then a lay leader at, um, uh, the pastor of that church asked me to um, consider the idea of leaving the software industry and come and be a pastor, in that, an associate pastor in the church, which was a shock, but also felt right at the time. And so... Um, my wife and I had a conversation about what that would mean, and that was a big change. Um, that was a big change, a bunch mm -hmm. of a bunch of ways. Um, but it meant I could go pursue um, something that was more meaningful and meaning making to me. And uh, so I was a pastor there for a few years, and then in that process, started a small church plant, um, kind of an entrepreneurial startup sort of thing. And that church was always a little tiny thing, very um, intentional, and not focused on. Um, um, normal success factors like mm -hmm. attendance and, uh, you know, giving and that kind of thing. So we were always kind of an oddball little group. And kind of during that phase of life, there was a lot of conversation. This was during the era where people wrote blogs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Way back in the day. <laughs> know, back in the olden days where there were blogs, there are a few folks who kept up that work. So mm -hmm. thank you, Lisa, for being one of those. My blog is fallow. It has been for a long time. But there was this conversation in those days around, what does it mean for us to be the church in a postmodern and post-Christian mm. era? Like, what does it mean for us to be um, embedded in our neighborhoods, um, embedded and transforming our cultures, and to not be doing it from a model of being a successful business? And one of the things that was attractive to me about that idea was it was just normal living, right? I didn't have to like pretend to be some business leader. I didn't have to pretend to be a great, you know, uh, people gatherer or whatever, the things that I'm not. Um, but I could pretend, I, not pretend, I could just focus on the people that I was with and um, the, the realities of my town and my neighborhood and my family and my church. And... Um, and that happened, that kind of discovery happened for me at a time in which um, there was this rise of understanding that um, community and intentional community could copy from some of the best of 
um, old school mm -hmm. monasticism and you could have like shared housing and kind of shared neighborhood ideas and um, folks who were kind of trying to live life in common yeah. um, under uh, kind of uh, under a an identified way of life or rule of life. Yeah. And so that was happening. And I was trying to kind of figure out what does that mean for my life and for my leadership in a church. And I started a doctoral program and started working on, on those ideas. And at the same time, the church that I've been leading um, closed down. Um, and so I spent some time trying to figure out what is, um, what does that mean to me? Mm. It was my first like professional failure. Mm. Um, it was my first time in which, um, the work that I was doing wasn't immediately successful. Mm. Um, and so, um, that took some identity wrestling. And so, um, I really cocooned into the idea of who am I and who do I want to be and who are we and who do we want to be and who is the church and how can the church be? And what does it mean for us to be community in suburbia? Um, what does it mean for us to be community in a place where people see each other maybe evenings and weekends? And what does it mean for us to be community at work where we don't go out to dinner together that often? And so um, those ideas were um, bouncing in my head when I was doing this this doctoral program. And, um, and so um, that was the kind of start of the journey uh, of finding a way to um, finding a way to blend. So along the way, I also, um, because the church was not going to support me financially, and I didn't really want that model anyway, I went back into software. Um, and I've been in software ever since, ever since then, so like 2004, or 2005 or something. Um, and so I've always been trying to figure out how, how do I make sure that the parts of me that work as a software engineering mm -hmm. manager mm -hmm. and the parts of me that um, focus on the inner journey and becoming fully human, becoming fully Christ-like or in Christ or however we perceive that idea, um, that those weren't um, separate. Because yeah. for many years, they felt to me to be totally different. Those have been the questions that I've been been wrestling with and, and trying to find ways to merge. And I think I've been getting better at that over time. Yeah. Well, and you were saying before that it was kind of in this process, especially when you were doing your doctoral work, that you discovered the practice of pilgrimage as well, and perhaps realized in the same marrying sort of situation how um, travel and place um, can intersect with spirituality too. Yeah. I, I, uh, pilgrimage for me was an accident. I, <laughs> you know, I knew about the concept, but you know, it was always, uh, it, it just never made sense to me to go make a hajj or go wash myself in the Ganges or like mm -hmm. those. And I wasn't particularly interested in going to Jerusalem or Rome or whatever, like the traditional things. But, um, one of the things I loved the most about my doctoral program was um, it was a program which was um, not residential, which meant that, and it was a program that had a global student population mm. of people that were practicing missional work, whatever that looks like yeah. for them. And so what that meant was every class was 
an intensive. So every class was, you know, basically read a bunch of books. Everybody flies from around the world to some location. You study that subject and talk together for a, you know, intensive time, a few days or week maybe then you go back home to wherever home is and you apply that stuff in your your land and you know so some classes would be um you know i I had folks in my classroom from uh from kenya and from belfast and from the Mm -hmm. philippines and from um and from you know uh, philadelphia and new york and chicago and and um all of these places which are which we're looking at how do we be the church as the as across the planet, people are moving from rural places to urban areas. What does it mean for the urban is for the church that the, the world is urbanizing, becoming mm-hmm. a global city? So, um, so that because of that focus, they asked us to travel at least twice for educational trips, which I thought was pretty cool because that just meant I could travel as a boondoggle and mm. it could count for uh-huh. credits. <laughs> I'll so, take it. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I thought, well, this is this is super cool. So the first opportunity that came up was a trip uh, to Ireland and Scotland and Northern England, um, studying Celtic spirituality. And was and, this your first um, time studying Celtic spirituality? Yeah, I never. I mean, I I'd, I'd heard of it. I'd you know in the kind of blog era, everybody had read George Hunter and the Celtic way of evangelism, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the way to do missional, yeah. you know, missional church at the time. So I'd read that, but um, the Celticness of it didn't really connect with me, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because, I mean, my my her- the heritage that I claim is mostly Irish. So I have Scottish and Welsh heritage as well, and I have German heritage um, as well. But because you know, partly because of my grandparents, my my paternal grandpa who was, you know, full-blood Irish Catholic and kind of the stereotypical Irish Catholic uh, person, you know, great storyteller and and construction worker and and uh, champion boxer and alcoholic and like all the things that you think of when you think mm-hmm. of that generation of Irish, of Irishmen, that was my grandpa, Bill. Um, and he was such a larger-than-life figure in my family that m- my family is always identified as Irish because grandpa was. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and my my wife is um, is Irish and uh, French and Italian, but uh, more Irish in heritage as well. And so, we had uh, my wife and I, and Shannon and I, had uh, on our seventh wedding anniversary had uh, taken a couple of weeks and traveled to the Republic of Ireland. So we flew into Dublin, you know, got a rental car, drove around the south of the country, kind of staying in little bed and breakfasts mm-hmm. and going to pubs and listening to music and all that stuff, you know, doing the tourist thing. And um, and not visiting the north because uh, because we felt it was dangerous. And um, then you know getting back to Dublin, going home again. And um, so I I'd seen the South, I'd seen the Republic. Um, this trip was starting in Belfast, um, spending some time in Scotland and spending some time in England and looking at who were Patrick and Columba and mm. Bridget. Hmm. Columbanus and these folks who I know a little bit of, knew a little bit about at that time, um, but didn't know much. And so I thought, well, you know, this is basically, I get credit for doing this. Mm. Um, and this is a, the idea was this is a scouting trip for my wife and I's next trip where we'll go to the north and we'll go visit Scotland and, and these places. Mm-hmm. And so, so I started reading for the class and knew as I was reading that there was something to this different, um, spirituality that I had experienced. Um, 
that there was something unique about it, uh, and it, you know, captured me. And then when we were, um, we flew into, we flew into Belfast and spent the first couple of days in Belfast and started by touring the peace walls in mm-hmm. Belfast that separate the Protestant and the Catholic neighborhoods, which are really, you know, there's a lot of complexity there, but it's not a religious battle. It's more of a political battle between those neighborhoods that, that at that moment in time and still today have an uneasy peace. Mm-hmm. Um, we started there and then we went uh, soon after that, the next day or two, to um, a little village down Patrick, which is the place, one of several places that uh, St. Patrick was intended to be buried. Um, and there's a cathedral there and there's a museum there and kind of there's this um, this this presence of the historical Patrick. Mm. And so we went from the contemporary challenge of justice and uh, unification and diversity and um, living together in complexity in the North to the his- historical figure in Patrick. And that kind of snapped my head around the reality of these old stories that I'd heard in my family. Mm. Um, and then, the, you know, the, the trip continued. We spent some more time in the North and we flew into Glasgow and then hopped on a train and then a bus over to Oban and then uh, off to Iona for a day. And we spent time at the Iona Abbey for a day and heard uh, a talk by John Bell, mm. who's, a, um, who's a hymn writer and also was the warden of the Iona community for a while. And, and um, oh, I should say that when we were in, in um, Downpatrick, we had a lecture by uh, a gentleman named Roy Searle, who uh, was affiliated at least at that point in time, all I knew was he was affiliated with the uh, Northumbria community, which is a contemporary community. And they had published this prayer book called Celtic Daily Prayer, mm-hmm. which is really the only other thing that I knew about either daily prayer or Celtic spirituality. And mm-hmm. I had the book and, and, um, and you know, so I got to ask him questions about it and realized later, you know, he was one of the founding members of the community, not just like uh, somebody affiliated. So a very humble guy. So we met with him. Uh, and the Northumbria community there met with uh, John and the Iona community in the north, uh, or in in, uh, in Scotland, along the west, and then hopped back on a bus that same day, and um, spent a bit of time in central Scotland, and then um, went down to Lindisfarne, mm. Holy Isle, and we're on Holy Isle for a day, and uh, met with uh, Ray Simpson, who was one of the founding members of the community of Aden and Hilda, which you are a part of. Which I'm a part of now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I, um, we, it was kind of this sampler trip of some history and some contemporary communities who were wrestling with the idea of how do we be inspired by an ancient faith that really died away, and yet which has some things to say about how we live and and how we be together today mm. in a way that that's um, this different than I had been seeing. So I came back home from from that trip and was really um, flustered because I was supposed to come back and you know in a month write a paper about how this applies to my little missional and in, in incarnational suburban church of you know thirty people or whatever. And uh, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out um, where to start. And um, and um, it was a it was an overwhelming experience for me because I knew that there was something different there than I had expected. And I knew that there was something more foundational there than mm. I had expected. And in fact, you know, really what happened was I, I spent a good month um, 
um, procrastinating, not writing, and um, complaining to God uh, because I love the Psalms and I love that the Psalms are a model of how you whine before mm. God and how you <laughs> for God. And so essentially, I was, um, you know, bitching and moaning at God, saying, "Why are you stopping me from writing this paper? I just want to check it <laughs> off this and be done." And um, I don't often have a tangible sense of God's answer to me when I'm complaining. But that day I had a strong sense that what God was saying to me was that I needed to step back a bit mm. and realize that I wasn't facing, you know, I'd complaining, I was complaining that there, that the God had put this wall in front of my path that I couldn't get around and I needed to get around it to go to the next class. And I, and I had a sense that God was saying, you know, this is not a wall that I placed in front of you, but, but look, you know, step back a few steps and look again. And I saw in front of me what was not a big stone wall, which I perceived, but uh, but a big cornerstone. Wow. Which to me meant, look, this is more of a foundation for you than it is a wall that you have to scale over. And so, um, so um, I knew that I could take from that experience and learn from it, allow it to transform me, and learn how to live it, but also um, mm. move on to the other pieces of the spirituality that was developing yeah. within me. Yeah. So, so I I realized after I got back home that that trip wasn't just for credit, but it but it had been a pilgrimage mm. that was, mm-hmm. I think, the most life and certainly most faith transforming thing that I had ever experienced. Yeah. Which certainly connects us to uh, what's it like to bring have a pilgrimage experience and then bring that home yeah as well i imagine that was kind of that you were just ready to do your schoolwork sort of thing and get back to practicalities and yet there was this entire experience that needed to be integrated into your life um, for you to be able to move on something that god had waiting for you there yeah I, i mean i think that's the hardest thing about pilgrimage is you know, the Joseph Campbell model, the last thing that happens with pilgrimage that is that you you learn how to return to your village with the boon, mm. with the treasure. Mm. And um, it's so easy, especially for us in a very fast-paced, busy world, it's so easy for us to return from, from journey, pilgrimage, travel, uh, a moment of centering prayer, whatever, and... Um, and then step past, how do I reintegrate this? Yeah. And for me, um, I mean, my life is um, a little overpacked, a little over busy. <laughs> and so for me, that that integration and reintegration piece is the most challenging thing. And for me, it all, it all focuses, it all centers around um, being intentional about how I'm using my time and how I'm incorporating my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy. It's easier to be unintentional and how I live yeah. than it is to be intentional about how I live. And that's particularly true about being intentional about how do I perceive and integrate the boon of, mm. of pilgrimage. Yeah. Well, and I love that you bring in even to like centering prayer, daily practice that um, for one, as Joseph Campbell would say, that the, the journey isn't simply while you're away. But an entire phase of the journey has to do with once you return home and integrate. So in the same way with spiritual practice each day, it's not just those 20 minutes or so that you sit in prayer. It's 
how you bring that into your everyday life that um, makes it a holistic journey, a transformative experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy for us to get uh, enraptured by the the bliss of the other and the bliss of Mm. the encounter and um and to avoid the drudgery of the everyday hmm. um you know in the in the charismatic world um you know there there's a temptation to go from those mountaintop mystical experiences to the next mountaintop mystical experience and and to not live in the normal everyday in between yeah. and um and I think, you know, and in the traveler's world, it's very easy to come back home from a journey and immediately begin planning, where yeah, am I going next? List. Yeah, which is, a, I mean, there's a beauty in the desire. Mm. And there's also a way in which that desire can be um, disintegrated or um, a shallow mm-hmm. se- sensation mm-hmm. because you have a belief that... Um, that out there over there is where I'm finding yeah. uh, God or faith or a meaning or mm-hmm. hope or whatever. And then that doesn't follow me back home again. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, 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 that is missing the point mm-hmm. and, and the treasure digging of, of the spiritual way, but especially of the pilgrims way yeah. uh, it, that the, the work of pilgrimage has to be, um, it has to be around incorporating and digging into the reality of that other experience in the in the everyday, mm-hmm. um, you know, boredom, but banality. Yeah. Well, and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel mm-hmm. like I've looked at the vows for the community of Aiden and Hilda. Isn't pilgrimage part of the vows in some way? There's so there. Yeah, Aiden Hilda community is so. The idea with Aiden and Hilda community is. It's there's a mother community based on Lindisfarne mm. uh, that's UK folks, but then there are other national communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a US community as well. So, you know, when I came back home from that first pilgrimage, um, that educational pilgrimage, I I wanted to find a way to to continue being challenged to live into whatever a Celtic's yeah, almost holding world. both of those pieces. What yeah. drew you yeah. that bliss from yeah. you know the Isles yeah. and the everyday and, life. Yeah, and how might that keep me sane in the midst of doing software and you know failing as a church planter and all this other stuff? Mm. Um, and so I I found a local a part of the community of Aiden Hilda. Um, in we we have a slightly different set of vows than our sister community in in the UK. In the UK they they have a, a, a part of their way of life is um, a commitment to a regular pilgrimage to to Lindisfarne, to Holy Isle, which yeah, is so kind like of a literal pilgrimage. Yep. Yep. So the idea is, you know, this is community gathering time. We mm-hmm. can, you know, we'll get together at least once a year. Club you know, meetings. Sometimes. Yeah. It's club <laughs> meetings. Yeah. I mean, in the best sense. Yes, of I course. But in the U.S., you know, we can't, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So our, um, we, our community um, endeavors for national retreat gatherings every three years they're highly encouraged, but they're not, you know, required part of my way of life. But what my way of life says is I have a regular rhythm of retreat. Mm. And so, um, so what happens with the community of Aiden Hilda in our way of life is that it's, a it's an outline, it's a structure for, it's a structure of, 
um, of kind of three common vows, you know, simplicity and purity and obedience, kind of the, the typical monastic vows lived in a non-monastic way, yeah. or at least not lived in a monastic community, and with like a 10-element outline that says, now work with a soul friend, work with an Anamkara to figure out what do these things mean for you in your context. So mm-hmm. you know, for me, as somebody who works in software as a manager who drives 35, 40 minutes each way every day and lives in a suburban house, what does simplicity look like for me? And what does care for creation look like for me? Because it's going to be different than the than the person who um, in our community who lives on a houseboat in on the Columbia River in Portland. For him, simplicity is a very different thing mm. than what simplicity is for me. So for us, pilgrimage um, is not a um, fundamental element for the way of life, but it's more of an overarching way to view the whole of life, mm. where part of that includes rhythms of uh, of of work and rest and recreation yeah so what do you feel it means to be a pilgrim especially in everyday life from what you're saying it it seems like there's a a parallel even with um, some monastic practices or ways of intentionally living and embedding yourself in the world that surrounds you yeah i mean here here um here, what I, you know, I've, as part of what I'm trying to incorporate from my life, I tried to learn from not just the, the Celtic monastic way, but also you know, the Benedictine way is mesmerizing to me and the Jesuit way and the Franciscan way and, and various Orthodox ways and the Zen, uh, the Zen Buddhist way. Um, but what I love about the Celtic way is that the Celtic monastic way was a, was a voyaging way of life. So, hmm. The early Celtic Church in the you know fifth, sixth, seventh centuries and beyond was a church that was both um, grounded in um, physical monasteries, really physical villages, um, but also that sent out missionary monks to go wander and do the work of God. And really, their term for that was to go find the place of their resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, um, in a if you're a Benedictine. Um, and you're entering a Benedictine um, monastery or abbey or um, or nunnery, you make a vow of stability, which means that you vow as you enter the community that that is your place, your people to be with and your place to be until the end of your days. Mm. Like you vow that you're entering the community and you will be buried with your friends in that community. And that's, and that's, that's a transformative and powerful thing, especially in our age where we move every oh, couple yeah. of years and we change job every few years. And, and so stability is a powerful um, force. For the Celts, um, there was more of a, of a meandering sense that pilgrimage was to follow the wind of the Spirit of God mm. and find where God is leading you to become your most full self. And really, maybe that most full self is as you die and are, you know, and are buried and, you are, and you're, resur- you're resurrected on the final day, whatever that looks like. And so you get stories of monks like Columbanus, who, who's on pilgrimage, um, starting, starting in, uh, you know, in Scotland and England, and then across all of Europe, and eventually stopping in Italy, where he, and he's establishing little monasteries along the way, just building communities of faith as a missionary would do, but also trying to find his home. Mm. And so the idea of pilgrimage for them was, 
not necessarily um, tourism with meaning so much as let's chase the spirit of God as God is leading and let's just see where it is that God has mm-hmm. us. And so mm-hmm. for me, that means um, that opens up the doors to what pilgrimage can be. It's not just walking the Camino mm-hmm. or, or making the journey to Iona or, um, uh, you know, or pick all of your wonderful favorite locations, which are wonderful pilgrimage. It's those things. And it's also, um, intentionally participating with the work of God mm. and the guidance of God in your everyday so that, yeah. um, you, so that you're following and finding the place of your most meaningful self. Yeah. You're finding the place of your resurrection. It sounds like there's a sense of action of agency. Yeah. Rather than kind yeah. of floating blindly. Yes. Yes. Co-creation. It's it's um, it's a different intention. Hmm. Um, It's a different. um, It's it's a sense of um, discovery rather than programming. Hmm. So um, um, I think it's um, I think it's possible to plan um, pilgrimage. And for it to go as you expect, I don't think it's very likely, um, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's possible, I suppose. But um, my experience is that um, whether on an overseas journey or whether on a trip home, um, I can see and experience that moment as um, a response to the divine leading of God and a response to um, God's invitation to me mm. to see or do or be something different. Yeah. Um, and so that means that, you know, that moment of centering prayer or that like getting in my car and turning on, you know, turning on the ignition and seeing the car turn on and just like rolling out of my driveway mm. can be a grand adventure because it's a participation with something other. Yeah. There's, I, I guess, the, the 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 map or the idea that I've been putting on this lately is um, pilgrimage is something like travel that is enchanted. Mm. I love this idea of enchantment mm-hmm. um, where there's a there's a a layer of meaning or subtext or or something that is um, that makes a thing sparkle. Yeah. So you know, p- prayer is conversation that's enchanted with presence and with intention mm-hmm. and. And pilgrimage is this idea of travel made holy or made sacred, um, either because I want to pursue that or more likely because God, the sacred, is inviting me into God's self. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. So for me, um, those little moments of enchantment Mm -hmm. are some form of pilgrimage and at the same time, there is something about being drawn out of my normal everyday routine that is a different kind of invitation to pilgrimage. Yeah. Uh, that's different than just seeing the everyday as filled with with the sacred and with wonder. Like yeah. that's part of it, but there's something that's a bigger arc of meaning um, 
in following God as as a lifelong journey of pursuing how God is leading me and who God is leading me to become. Yeah. Well, so there's kind of that lifelong journey pilgrimage kind of idea. Yeah. Well, I know we've mentioned a lot of spiritual practices and um, ways to sense that enchantment yeah. or deeper meaning or even enacting it um, through rituals or something like that. Um, and I know I mentioned a rule of life before, and that's something you always have your students develop. I'm curious about how, what might be a rule of life almost that could uh, imbue this sense of enchant enchantment yeah. um, to remind us of that sacred search, um, the invitation of God and the leading of the divine each yeah. and every day so that we can um, live like pilgrims, um, yeah. even embedded in our daily lives, travel yeah. life like a pilgrim, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, yeah it's good. Um, so, you know, hearkening back to the idea of what, what, what is a way of life or a rule of life, I, you know, I use the term interchangeably partly because rule, the word rule has, um, hit, has, has a deep associations for us that aren't always <laughs> positive, but a way of life seems more, mm -hmm. um, life giving and, um, freeing for, for many folks. So, so I use those terms interchangeably, yeah. but both those ideas come from, um, they come from monastic communities where a community gets together and then has to decide what makes us us and how do we be us. Hmm. And so um, in the way of Benedict, you know, Benedict starts, um, starts to, you know, the story of Benedict's kind of funny because he, he's, he's, um, it's very funny for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but he builds, he, he matures along, along his journey and he builds a, after several failed attempts, he he builds a structure for living together in community that starts with the word listen mm. as a call to both listening to God the sacred, but also listening to one another um, for the work of God am, amongst us. And and then, it, you know, the rule of Benedict kind of goes from there. But the, the idea is it's this loose structure of how do we be a community that is uniquely us? And all monastic communities have something around that structure. How, you know, how do people come into the community? Um, how do people live together? When do we talk and not talk? And how do we pray? And how do we, you know, how do we worship? And what do we do with the Psalms? And how do we live together? And all that stuff. So communities start that way. And, and, um, and not just kind of the, the, you know, the mainline kind of old monastic communities like Benedictines and, and Jesuits and Franciscans to some extent, but, but also the kind of these, new emerging postmodern um, intentional communities as well. Mm. So they start with this, this structure about what makes us us. And individuals can do that same thing as well. So what I'd like to do in this, this class that, that we're referencing and really with any way that I'm working in spiritual direction or uh, any formative encounter is really to ask people, you know, what are your values? Who do you want to be? Um, who are you being called to be? Where do you see the differences in those things and who you are and where, and where you want to be? Um, what are, what are the normal everyday routines of your life? Um, what's the structure by which you live? 
what is it what does a Tuesday look like for you and what makes a Tuesday different than a Thursday and different from a Saturday and you know what makes spring different than summer for you and and um, you know what makes your 30s different than your 40s and your 50s and like what's the shape of how you're living and how you're changing mm. so start there and in the midst of those things, what are the things that you do and the people that you know and the activities that you pursue that bring you life? Yeah. So what is it that makes you most fully alive? And when can you um, intend um, to hang those practices around your everyday routines? So how can, how can your Tuesday become a little bit more enchanted? Mm. And how can your summer become a little more enchanted and um and so put together kind of a loose association of here's my values and my practices and my rhythms and here's the things that i want to do and to be and here's how i want to kind of work this out in in relationship with somebody else so um the um the worst thing you can do is to is to write a rule of life or a way of life that um only you know about um, that you don't have somebody wise who's helping you along with a spiritual director or a coach or a friend or life coach or soul friend or whatever. And to write it um, as aspirational, like as I really want to be that kind of person. And if I do all of these mm -hmm. things, I will become mm -hmm. that kind of person. Yeah. Constant striving. Yeah. Which, um, you know, that that's fun to do for a week or two. You know, it's like <laughs> as it's like in my younger days, um, especially in my younger and you know, evangelical days, every January 1st became the day that you would start the new resolution to read the Bible this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So you get through Genesis and you get through Exodus and you get into Leviticus and you're like, oh, I can do three chapters of this and I don't really care anymore. <laughs> then you have, the, you have like the guilt of, but I'm spoke like, I should be on track and I should be, mm -hmm. I should be checking off the checklist that says I did this and I did this and I did this, did this because that's making me a better me, mm. but it's not really you. Um, and, and there are times that that practice is fantastic, but, um, but there's a difference between life giving and obligation yeah. um, or, or life giving and stuff that we think that we should do to earn the praise of mm -hmm my mentor or my God. Yeah. Um, so, um, so ways of life have to start with this idea of what are my values and rhythms and practices and what are the things that help me come fully alive and who's going to hold me accountable to asking the questions of how's it going? Mm -hmm. Um, in my, um, uh, in my way of life, um, I work with my, with my, uh, soul friend, with my Anamkara and, um, we'll get together every quarter or so and he'll just pick one thing from the, the, the way and say, how's this going? And usually it's, I have one piece in there, which is actually two pieces that are hardest for me. One is, um, uh, to try to get eight hours of sleep a night, um, as a practice of physical, um, health. And the other is, um, no, um, that I can't pick up my phone in the morning until I've prayed in the morning. Mm -hmm. And for me that praying doesn't mean, um, it doesn't mean like 
you know, saying my rosary or, you know, going mm-hmm. through whatever written pieces or going, or, you know, looking at my prayer book or whatever. It's just, it's just setting my focus on God before mm-hmm. I set my focus on Twitter notifications and what's cool on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are hard for me because, um, those are, they're hard for me because they're patterns and practices that are, um, that feel life giving, but aren't necessarily, um, Mm -hmm. you know, working, working so much or, or being so stressed out that I can sleep six hours a night, you know, is a short term reality that's not healthy. And, you know, waking up to check Instagram every morning feels good, but, um, it's not healthy for me in the long, yeah, in the long term. Won't bring you into alignment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that way of life is me intentionally saying, "Here are the things that I think give me the most meaning. Here are the things that I think are best for me." And, um, and then I revise those things over time. Actually, I need to revise those things over time. My way of life is horridly out of date now, and so um, the joke with my with my soul friend is that I'm I think five years into saying. I'm rewriting it. I think it will be done again <laughs> soon, but it's not, which mm. is think, another deep truth for my own <laughs> psyche. Yeah. Well, it seems like developing a way of life or a rule of life, the development is a journey in itself yeah. as you discern and kind of separate and parse out um, what draws you close to you, your true self to God and what is, you know, merely worldly pleasure i suppose or or even distraction temptation things like that um but it also feels very similar too to that that journey toward your place of of resurrection yeah yeah i I think the call you know the the watch words for me um have been around both enchantment as this sense of something sparkling as an other Mm. and, and intention and mindfulness. So, um, I deeply, you know, I I deeply value the, the way that the uh, Buddhist traditions, the Zen traditions have brought back mindfulness into the contemporary consciousness. And although, you know, that the goal of mindfulness, um, is a bit different in those traditions, you know, there's a difference between aiming towards, um, really perfect stillness or empty or nothingness in most of the um, Buddhist tradition and in the Christian tradition, aiming at full presence, um, the presence of the sacred or the other or God in the Christian tradition. There's differences in the the target, but I love that um, mindfulness has become a universal practice um, that calls us into being in the moment. Mm. Um, And in our time, being in the moment is incredibly difficult and therefore incredibly important. Um, And so those being in the moments, if I'm also in the moment perceiving and pursuing um, God the sacred, God the Trinity, Um, like that's the, um, that seems to be the special sauce, right? The mindful and intentionality in the moment while we also are on the move. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know exactly where we're moving to, but I'm trusting that God is leading me to a better place. Like that seems to be the thing, Mm. the beauty. Yeah. And feels to connect with the pilgrim, whether at home or abroad. Yeah. Yeah. 
final questions are ones I like to ask everyone. And it's so fun to listen to them over all the episodes and hear, hear the connections. So I'll ask them and you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. So if you were going on pilgrimage, where would you want to go next? And I know you've just come from some places of yeah. pilgrimage for you. Yeah. Um, it's a complicated question for me right now. I, um, let me give you an answer and then I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to do some piece of the Camino soon. Mm. Um, I also um, would love to go visit Machu Picchu oh, soon. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of other things too. And this is a more complex question than you're asking for me because <laughs> um, I'm next spring will turn 50 mm. and I want to mark that somehow mm. with some, you know, big grand epic do yeah. something, you know? So, um, so I'm going through my possibilities lists and yeah. also recognizing that all of my possibilities lists, you know, um, you know, spending three months riding a mountain bike down the great divide from Canada to Mexico is probably not going to happen with my <laughs> having a job. Um, yeah, there's but, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Um, friend here reminded me when I was complaining about this, you know, she reminded me, you know, yes, but having a job actually funds the possibility uh -huh. of these journeys. <laughs> you just have to choose time wisely. Mm -hmm. But, um, but there's something about, I want a, um, I want a sense of enchanted place mm. and I want a sense of physical engagement, like physical embodiment in, yeah. in, um, my interaction with that place. Yeah. And An so experience of the numinous. Yeah. So speak that, yeah. I was thinking of that word whenever yeah. you were saying enchanted. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. The numinous. Yes, I can't tell you exactly what it means right now. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a taste of the holy, of the sacred. It is. It's that. It's that God speaking from the cloud ahead mm -hmm. of the ahead of the people of Israel. It's that. It's that sense that there's something <laughs> in X Files parlance. It's the sense <laughs> that there's something out there, right? Mm -hmm. That there's something out there, and I want to believe. And as much as I struggle mm. and doubt, but I, I also um, I also want to know and experience the presence of that that beautiful grounding force of god yeah mm -hmm. well what about in your daily life what journey are you on at home uh you know the difficult journeys of being a good parent and being so i have a uh, almost 16 year old daughter and a 12 year old son and um, on the trip that we just came back from, um, my wife and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary when we were in Edinburgh in Scotland. And um, so being a good dad and being a good husband um, is, is, a, is a lifelong pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. it's, it's difficulty. Um, and I know my weaknesses there, uh, as do my, you know, the wonderful thing about um, having all of these great ideas and teaching grad students and reading all of these things is when I come back home and I talk to my kids, they know, mm. <laughs> they know me yeah. and they know where I'm faking it and they know, um, where I am, who I say I am and where I'm not, who I say I want to be. Mm. And so, um, it's a profoundly humbling and sacred thing to have a child, um, bust your reality <laughs> uh, or bust your image of yourself into reality. Mm. So I mean, there's that there's, you know, I, this, this number 50 coming up for me is 
I don't think I'm scared of the number so much as it's just a it's an it's a thing to yeah. mark where where am I and where do I want to be. Mm. Yeah, well, um, and kind of a you like maybe I don't know if it's universal, but Western culture yeah. very yeah. much a rite of passage, so to speak, yeah. that um, that is there for you for the taking. Yeah, for symbolism yeah. and transition thresholds. Yeah. Yeah, the, I guess the other piece too is um, at, at at work here. Um, there's more and more overlap, and what does it mean to be a transformational leader? Kind of mm. the stuff that I learned in my doctoral program yeah. is now making more of a an inroads into um, culture change and personal mm. leadership and management in the corporate world. Wow. And um, so there's a lot of complexity around that and challenge around that, but. Um, it's nice to see those intersection points where, um, you know, where for many years those things felt to be different parts of me that I had to like pick up one persona and yeah. put on the other one. Mm -hmm. um, the integration of those personas is becoming more um, um, uh, possible. Mm -hmm. And really, I think that's really the goal is I, I want to be an integrated person with my my ideas and my head and my work and my kids and my wife and my students. And, um, um, I want to be one, mm. one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want that oneness to be, um, truly who, um, um, God, the father, son, and spirit has invited me to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that oneness extends to that as well. One yeah. with God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's the fuel. It's the, it's the fuel for that. But really, it's the uh, I need the term grounding. I'm a pretty as anybody who is trying to outline this conversation may know. Um, I'm a pretty um, uh, random person and pretty <laughs> unstructured. And um, so grounding for me is the deep meaning of God. Mm. Um, uh, grounding for me is the is the. Um, Grounding for me is the presence of God and the transcendence of God. Yeah. Which, um, mm. I want I want uh, more of a sense of that for myself. Yeah. So no big deal. Just, you no. know, just, just, well, just, <laughs> just all those things. Yeah. Oh, well, along with that, because I feel like that applies. Are yeah. there any other practices or tools that you'd like to offer to listeners seeking to practice pilgrimage in everyday life? Um, the uh, the two things that come to mind are first to um, to find uh, to find your guide mm. to discover whether that person you know is somebody that you would call a mentor or a soul friend or or best friend or or uh, you know a priest or, or 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 somebody but somebody who will walk with you and ask you the hard questions mm. and help to unveil the things that you are experiencing, um, which is the deep, the deep beauty of spiritual direction as well. Um, as a deep introvert, as somebody who would much rather live life on my own and occasionally <laughs> encounter others, um, I know that I need, um, I need the other um, to show me things that I don't see. Mm. Or really to ask the questions that help me to see the things that I don't see. Yeah. So that's one thing. Another thing um, is as much as I have valued my own Christian story and heritage and experience, um, I also know that many of the practices that bring me life are things that um, don't fit neatly into the buckets of um, 
what I've experienced as traditional mm -hmm. and Christian faith. So, mm -hmm. um, so being open to saying, you know, for, for this time, the way that I best encounter God might be um, embodied prayer through the practice of yoga, or mm -hmm. it might be, um, uh, you know, it might be, um, you know, weekly uh, cooking nights with my friends just as a social like rhythm, or it might be things that don't feel like they're particularly, you know, sacred, quote unquote, yeah. but that are deeply meaningful. And so, um, especially for folks who, for whom the idea of um, Christian faith and Christian community is off-putting or, um, you know, that there's trauma or neglect uh, that comes from that, then finding other meaning-filled ways to um, to be intentional about growth and about um, formation or transformation, I think, is a is a beautiful thing. I I, um, I have found for myself that you know I live in the world of my mind and my ideas, and so that means that I need to counter that with intentionally practicing embodied um, spirituality. And so, you know, for times that's been, you know, practice of yoga in recent years, that's been the practice of weightlifting, like weightlifting for me is a spiritual practice because I have to be present mm. in the moment. I have to be thinking about my breath. I have to be thinking about um, movement and action. And I can't be in a what if world. I can't be in a, um, I can't be in a world of, um, I just have to be real with where I am and where I'm not. Like I can't, I can't think if I were a different, um, in, you know, physical capacity, I could do this differently. I can't live that way. It's just not real. I have to be honest about myself. And so that's been a, that's been a teacher for me. Um, and so part of my way of life now is, is going to the gym and going mountain biking and going hiking as ways to um, um, live in, my faith in an embodied way. Mm. And so I, I would suggest, you know, for folks finding their journey mates and being um, willing to be open to practices that may live outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Mm. Well, will you close us with a benediction, a blessing for our listeners along those lines? I will. Um, my um, one of my mentors in the book world in this in this space, both a pilgrimage and Celtic spirituality in particular, is is uh, John O'Donohue, so a writer and a poet and former Catholic priest, and and um, I love I love John's way of looking at the world, and I was um, reminded a while ago of his understanding of of pilgrimage, and he says he says this, he says that. At its heart, the journey of each life is a pilgrimage through unforeseen sacred places that enlarge and enrich the soul. And so in that vein, may you and may we um, step out into the journey of our life and recognize that that life is pilgrimage through sacred places both unseen and seen, but places that enlarge and enrich in the soul. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates and a free pilgrim guide at a sacredjourney.net slash podcast. 
and subscribe to Pilgrim Podcasts through Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. I'll be back again next month with another conversation on practicing pilgrimage at home and abroad. Until then, blessings on the journey.